Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that pairs compelling themes with some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we will be looking at the theme of agency in The Hunger Games. So to start out our discussion, we want to begin with a quote. And this quote comes from the first book of The Hunger Games trilogy. And it's when Katniss and Peter are up on the rooftop. It's the night before they're going into The Hunger Games. And basically, Peter was saying how he was never really a contender in the games and and he was just kind of hoping not to disgrace himself and and Katniss is a little confused and and asking him about what he means. I don't know how to say it exactly, only I want to die as myself. Does that make any sense? I don't want them to change me in there, turn me into some kind of monster that I'm not. Do you mean that you won't kill anyone? No, when the time comes, I'm sure I'll kill just like everybody else. I can't go down without a fight. Only I keep wishing I could think of a way to, to show the capital that they don't own me. That I'm more than just a piece in their games. But you're not. None of us are. That's how the games work. Okay, but within that framework, there's still you. There's still me. Don't you see? Yeah, so basically, Peta's smart and interesting and thoughtful and insightful. And the book is great. And now we just want to keep reading. <laughs> yeah, we, we had trouble figuring out when to start and stop this quote because it's all so good. And this whole scene is amazing because we really see the first kind of explicit acknowledgement and discussion about what it means to have agency within these games. And, and Katniss doesn't see herself as having agency here. And Pete is trying to, you know, within the system, exert some form of his own identity and his own agency. And from a character that is fairly diplomatic not nearly as defiant as Katniss it's just it's just so cool to see yeah absolutely and it's just powerful to me and and it's just such an important moment in the books mm. and I think it is such an important thing for Peta's character as well especially considering what happens to his character mm. uh, by the end of the books that he is for a, a period of time almost turned into you know what even he himself would consider a monster right and so i think it's just so admirable for this 16 year old kid to be thinking about you know he's about to die the next day or at least in the next few days he does not think he's making it out and he doesn't even mm. want to make it out right if anybody can make it out he wants katniss to make it out and yeah. This is what he's thinking about, him not wanting them to change him. And, you know, he's almost semi-okay with dying. He, he just doesn't want to die with his agency stripped away and be turned into the prop that the Capitol wants him to be in the games. And, yeah, I mean, maybe there are other people who are tributes who, who have thought this way, but uh, I would assume it's pretty rare for, for a 16-year-old to be thinking this before they have to go into a fight to the death that they don't plan to come out from. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is, it is I think, really insightful and nuanced thinking, too, because it's not defiance or despair or hopelessness or helplessness. It is understanding the constraints that he is operating within, but also understanding that he can exert some form of agency within it, or hoping to do so. 
and come back to the Chris's in grad school segment. But uh, <laughs> when we talk about like historical agency, that's the kind of thing that we talk about where oppressed peoples, the, those oppressions and the, the stripping away of their choices is real, but their ability to make decisions within that oppression is also important. And I think that here is a great example of someone who is being oppressed, who has choice stri- stripped from him, but who also wants to make sure that he is exerting some form of, of self-value. And I think, as you said, like he's hoping to, to exert some of this agency, but I, I think it's also so self-aware of him to be like, I don't want them to change me, but I know that they might. Hmm. Because he knows, I think, some of his own limitations just as a person. She's like, oh, does that mean you're not going to kill anyone? He's like, no, I probably would, just like anybody else would. And he doesn't just have this superior view of himself. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. no, I'll be fine or I'll just die sacrificially. And, you know, it, it gets a lot more complicated when you're right in the face of someone attacking you, you know. And and I yeah. think he's thought it through. He's thought through how the games work. He's thought through ways in which... Hopefully he can, within the framework of the games and everything that's been stripped away from him, he can still be himself and exert some of his own agency. Exactly. He's not Sejanus. He's not tragically <laughs> trying to subvert and, and sacrifice himself to the inequalities of the system. He is just trying to do what he can within this realistic understanding of it. Yes, oh, Peta. Oh, Peta. And in fact, Peta is the character I, I chose to talk about for this week. Because as as you mentioned, I think Peta's journey in Mockingjay is such an interesting view of agency and, and the way that people can lose their agency but also still try to operate within it. After he gets captured by the capital, we see him first as a captive and then later from his brainwashing, we see him lose the complete control over his life and in, in, in really drastic ways, but still trying to exert his agency. Mm-hmm. The interviews yeah. that, that we see him giving to the Capitol, they kind of play up his, his more diplomatic nature, which he's always had, especially compared to, to Katniss. But even though even Katniss is, is worried about what he might be thinking, it's clear that he's also playing them, that he is doing what he can to, and even when he makes comments about, you know, how the, the rebels should put down their weapons and things like that, he's making these comments because he doesn't have a lot of choice in this matter, but he's able to use what he can for his own goals, and that's mostly to help Katniss more than anyone. Well, but, but also, like, when he has the chance, he warns District 13, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and we see him slowly being more and more unhealthy over over these interviews. Actually, not slowly, pretty quickly. Um, there's only three interviews, and he, he gets debilitated quite quickly. And so it's clear that he's also being tortured. He is also being beaten. He is clearly going through this hijacking and these other types of things. And, and the warning he gives is met with brutal response and so he is even if we don't always see it as explicitly as that warning i think that the the torture that he's undergoing also shows that he is not always the 
model captive that uh, that he might be trying to portray, or that the Catwoman might be portraying, trying to portray him as. Well, and you see, he's already undergone torture, and he's still, when the, he can, when the moment is right, he uses agency, even though he knows that he's going to be tortured even more because of it. Exactly, exactly. And the hijacking that is clear after he's rescued by District 13, I think it's interesting to think about that in in the idea of agency, because he has control stripped away from him, where he can no longer control the way that his body and mind reacts to Katniss, at least at first. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that that strips away his agency necessarily, because if we think about agency as as that ability to make choices within the, the choices that you have, I think that he does still show that he's fighting against that lack of control. And when Coin assigns him to the Propo squad, he is even then being used by Coin in a way that is trying to take away his agency, where she's trying to use him as a weapon against Katniss. Mm. And he resists that. He he tries to fight against it. And at times he's not able to do so as well as he, he might want to. Yeah, he wants and, to keep his handcuffs on. Exactly. He wants someone to give him a nightlock poison pill, right? So that he has the choice to make. And that's, I think, another really interesting element is that Katniss refuses to do so. Katniss takes away his agency at this point, his ability to make this choice. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's also very, very interesting because it kind of shows how he and Katniss, they both make decisions for each other throughout these these books, where they, in, yeah. in some ways, strip away the agency of the other to choose their own death. And that neither of them allows the other to die alone. They may agree to die together, like at the end of the first book, but they will not allow the other to just die. And I think that's that's really, really interesting. And, and nowhere as clear as when Peta is, is saying, I want this capsule because I don't want to hurt anyone. And mm-hmm. Katniss refuses to let him have it. Yeah. I mean, she finally does, right? Before they all leave Tigress's place. Gail right. gives him his. But yeah, up until then, she was like, nope, sorry. We're not going to just leave you here. We're not going to just let you die. <laughs> but even then, I feel like that was almost in understanding that this was a point where they're all going to die. Where mm-hmm. there there is no way for them to get out of this. Even if they succeeded their mission, which they don't do, they will not survive it. So even that, for me, it, it does kind of even lean more into that, okay, we can take these pills together, we can we can die together, we can do what, whatever we can until that happens, but mm. where we're at, there there is no return. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think that the stripping away of his control and his ability to make choices is so profound, but his fight against literally himself to try to regain it is also really, really inspiring and really, really amazing. And... I mean, PETA. And PETA, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and it makes me also love that, that scene with Hamish, where Hamish is, you know, chiding Katniss for holding it against him when he is doing whatever he can and, and she is not doing what PETA would do in her situation. And I just think that PETA is hashtag best boy and I just <laughs> love... Uh, <laughs> love his struggle here and and especially with this quote that we we discussed and and 
what happens to him, I think it's it's just a, a prime example of the importance of agency in these books and the importance of being able to make what choices you can and and those choices being important. Definitely. Yeah. But what plot did you bring? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Jabber Jays. Okay. Because in the original trilogy, they're kind of just an aside. But as we read through The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I, yeah, just became a lot more interested in them and not just as creatures, but also what they stand for. So yeah, I was, I was thinking about like the voice of a bird is something that is so integral to the avian class of animals. They, mm. they're social animals and like they communicate through their voices and that's how they breed and hunt and do all of these different things. And, and so using their voices is so important. Then we see the Jabberjays in Songbirds and Snakes and really get to see them in action and how their voice is turned on and off. And also, I mean, it, the purpose of it was to be used as a weapon against the rebels by collecting information. Then it was co-opted by the rebels to feed back information that was incorrect, which is great and awesome. <laughs> and then through that process, and they were just abandoned and were like, ah, they'll just die off and that's fine. But the more that I've thought about Jabberdays, I also see them as an allegory for the victors because the victors are coerced to turn their own voices off and be the mouthpiece mm. of the capital and in doing so help quell rebellions and and make it so that they don't even get to the point of of any people or districts having rebellions and they have to come to the annual games every year they have to mentor or you know like in Hamish's case for a lot of the years pretend to mentor the next victims of the capital and they have to pretend to not have been just irreparably broken in in the process of their own games and yeah it's just they're they're coerced to portray this to the entire penem mm. so that the capital can maintain control even with that the capital still, I think, makes sure that this act, this portrayal, this performance by the victors isn't undermined or, or broken in any way because they make the victors actually move out of their communities to live in Victor's village, which is mm. just socially isolating and fracturing all of the relationships they've had. It's, it's really cutting them off from that. And I mean, which makes sense, right? You can't easily hide waking up screaming from nightmares if you live right next door but if you're separated in victor's village it's so much easier for things to see more put together than they actually are hmm. also obviously those who show agency in the games as well in a way that's an affront to the capital and like Hamish or, or katniss they're punished for it in other or more specific ways because they weren't just being the violent tool that the capital wanted them to be. Mm. They were kind of breaking through and doing something new or different than what they were supposed to do. So yeah, I was just, I was thinking about how 
it's so interesting how in those ways the victors are are like the Jabberjays, but as we know, <laughs> the Jabberjays resulted in in mocking jays, and those are are what the capital couldn't control, what Snow couldn't control, and obviously Katniss being the prime mocking jay whose mm. voice will not be turned off when she doesn't want it to, or at least in the end it was for a bit, but. But then she got enough agency and enough perspective for what needed to be done. And then and then she did. Hmm. Yeah, that is that is such a smart analogy, (laughs) because in both cases, the the victors and the Jabberjays are designed by the capital to serve their interests. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, the power that they're, they're given by the capital makes them exploit the weaknesses of the capital and in fact help the rebels Mm -hmm. and in both cases they also show how essentially they they can serve the capital as long as they are under their thumb as long long as they're under tight control but that is not a natural state for people or for jabberjays and it's impossible to maintain long term and as soon as they go outside of that control you know what what snow would consider chaos takes over and a more natural uh less fascistically controlled nature takes over and and i think that that's that's really interesting to see happen for for the jabber jays and and becoming mocking jays and that definitely makes katniss's namesake as as the mocking jay be even more powerful in that way yeah yeah and coin tried to do the same thing Mm. Right? Just in a slightly different way. But when they tried to put words in her mouth with a script, it just did not go well. Mm. And it was only when she was being her authentic self, you know, that's how they convinced Coin to let Katniss go to District 12, go to District 8. Because they were like, when did Katniss ever actually move you? And it was when she was, she had her agency. She was choosing to do what she was doing. Mm. And she had conviction about it. And and so it was only through her doing that that those videos could be made so it could inspire the rebellion. Because otherwise, it just, yeah, Katniss doesn't do well with scripts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and... I think that goes into the use of music and musicality in and creativity mm. in Colin's writing too, where it is it is a creative, it is not controlled. And Katniss can be creative, but she can't be controlled. <laughs> yeah. Well, what question do you have for me? I thought that now that now that we've read Songbirds and Snakes and we've had a different protagonist whose point of view we've seen this world through I was wondering how you see the differences between the agency exerted by Coriolanus Snow and Katniss as protagonists. Would we call Snow a protagonist? He's a protagonist in the sense that he is the main character who we're following. Yeah, he's the main antagonist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's interesting. I think when we get little glimpses of both of them at around 10 years old or maybe snow is a little bit younger but you see so much of their agency hampered by Mm. the circumstances so obviously for katniss it's 
the capital controlling the situation in all of the districts and then for snow it's the war doing that and that was originally because of the capital trying to control the districts but <laughs> from his point of view it's they were starving to death and everything because the rebels controlled the food supply and and all of that and so I think you see both of them as children feeling so at the whims of whatever is happening, not really having control, not having agency, not having even really choices to make. Mm. But Katniss, once she realized she, well, first of all, she was doing things, trying to sell Prim's old baby clothes and, you know, doing different things. But once she realized that she could go out beyond the boundary of where they're supposed to go and hunt, then ever since then, I mean, that's how her family survived, even though they still lived in poverty. Mm -hmm. Snow, we don't really see that. I mean, he survived because other people took care of him, because they hoarded lima beans, because mm -hmm. Tigris had to be sexually exploited. He had the benefit and the privilege to not do much for his own survival. Then I think is, as we go along, I think both of them think things quite often like, you know, I don't have any choice. Hmm. But I think Katniss oftentimes doesn't, and Snow does. He just... He would rather think that he doesn't have a choice, right? Like, oh, mm. I don't know. I just dropped this handkerchief in this tank of snakes. Oh, I just shot this person. I don't know. It was like my hand was moving without me even deciding to. I mean, those are obviously all completely untrue. Those were conscious decisions, but he doesn't like what it means to have made those decisions. So he rationalizes himself out of it. Whereas Katniss has a much less privileged position at age 16, 18, and she really does have limited choices. I mean, I guess her name wasn't drawn for the mm -hmm. first Hunger Games, so she did make that choice to mm -hmm. enter instead of her sister, and that that was agency. Yeah. But then after that, she was going back in the games no matter what. There was There was no choice. So... I think some of the differences for the agency we see exerted by both is that so often when Katniss exerts her agency, she's doing it for other people. Not always, right? So she decided to say that she had this special mission to go kill Snow when that wasn't true, right? And that was for mm. her own revenge. But for so many of the other moments when she pulls out those berries at the end of the first Hunger Games, when she is, well, basically blows up the force field, she's, she's thinking about who the enemy is. She's thinking about showing Pen M mm. and, and defying the capital in those actions. Whereas Snow, I think when he uses his agency, except for a few times to try to save Lucy Gray mm -hmm. and maybe, okay, sent some money to, to Tigress. It's always about him. And even those actions, they're intertwined with the status of his family. Snow shouldn't be going through this. Snows need to get back on top. And it's hard to unravel what 
is actually care for Lucy Gray or what is actually care for Tigress versus this helps me too, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, they they use their agency in, in very different ways. And obviously, Snow has had so many more privileges, even though he mm. grew up impoverished. Like, he still had that house. He still had the status linked to his name. He still had a education at the, the best school possible and then obviously after that just gets more and more and more privileges whereas Katniss had to fight for every moment and had to pay for every moment of agency mm-hmm. that she exerted yeah you you hit on so many so many great points and I think that you're absolutely right that you, you cannot talk about the differences in their agency without talking about the difference in their privilege and power that they have and mm-hmm. how that privilege comes with the ability to make different kinds of choices. So even when Snow is defiant of the establishment in some ways, he is doing so from a position of power. And that's why he doesn't get the same repercussions that Katniss gets, where even his summer vacation to be a peacekeeper was never intended to be a permanent thing. That his defiance has always come with the ability, a get out of jail free card, which just comes from his place of privilege. Yeah. And and I think that it, it it's interesting because ultimately while both at times exert agency, you know, in defiance of the systems that they're around, at the end of the day, Katniss is defiant of a system. She is putting out real systemic agency based off of off of what she is choosing and that comes from everything from her volunteering the first person district 12 to do so to her taking the berries to to all these other things that that you're mentioning whereas snow though he at times kind of disrupts the machine or attempts to for his own personal gain he really is still a cog in it and Mm -hmm. he starts within the machine and he ends within the machine and he his goal is the maintenance of that machine um, though his own status within it is also paramount and Mm -hmm. so it's just interesting to to think about how agency is tied to defiance and our defiance in hunger games episode is still one of my favorite episodes we've done so definitely go Mm -hmm. back and listen to that but i think the two are, are are intrinsically linked when you see these two characters in comparison because yeah yeah as you mentioned Katniss starts out the story basically by her first big decision is narrative agency and and personal agency. It's her making the choice to enter the games. She's not like Peta. She didn't just cut called randomly. And I think the story would be a lot a lot weaker if she had. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting too because I'm thinking about the moments where Snow had his agency restricted in not not in his memories, but in the actual book of Songbirds and Snakes. Mm-hmm. And one of the the first moment that I really think of is when Doctor Gall says, "You need to go into the arena mm. to get Sejanus," and he doesn't have a choice if he refuses. Vague threats are made, but he knows that something terrible is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in that experience, he then is like, oh, no, I'm never doing this again. He's <laughs> fine having that decision be taken away from 24 kids every year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think when he actually severely had his agency restricted to a point where he could have died from it. He um, 
I mean, you see the violent backlash that he does. So yeah, he doesn't like that very much. No, no, he does not. Well, what is your complaint question for me? So my question is that when you're reading the Hunger Games books, what moments or even concepts of agency most impact you? And Mm. whether that's linked to the plots of the books in general or whether that's just personal to you. That's a great question. And just because there's there's so many of them. I know, right? Uh, I, I am definitely a person who it's it's pretty easy to manipulate my heartstrings um (laughs) so the uh the moment in catching fire when all of the victor slash tribute hold hands i think is (laughs) is pretty great and it's clearly meant meant to be symbolic even within the books but it definitely i think is is a powerful powerful moment Mm -hmm. I, i think that everything that finnick does is a great example of course, and a powerful one of someone who is sexually exploited in ways that are clearly extremely coercive and certainly have to do with the threat of violence against his loved ones. Yeah. And he does it. And he also, within that, tries to gain some power over those that he is being exploited by. I think that that is really amazing um it it's is arguably something that uh is is wishful thinking for most sexually exploited people but mm-hmm. is something that he is able to do and i think definitely is is part of why he's such a compelling character yeah absolutely well and that that moment in in the interviews during catching fire caesar flickerman's asking questions whatever and he reads this poetry that he wrote for annie i mean he doesn't Mm. say her name because he you know obviously still wants her to be protected Mm. but it's just such a like you have taken so much away from me and forced me to do these things with my body that i don't want to do And the last thing I'm going to say to everyone is, like, what I choose, who I love. Which, yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful moment of just F you to the Capitol, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. So true. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point. Oh, Finnick. Oh, Finnick. But I think, yeah, the last one that, that I, I think about for sure is the one that we've talked about a lot, but is is Katniss's choice to volunteer for Prim. Mm. And yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I'm really close with, you know, a lot of my siblings. I've got a lot of them and my family is, is pretty close and I definitely could see myself making that choice. Oh my God, of course you would. <laughs> I, I've never had to provide the way that Katniss has had to provide. And so... I really, really admire that choice, and definitely it, it it hits me in a way that is, yeah, that's very powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, like, we know that at least one of PETA's brothers could have volunteered, I think, mm-hmm. but didn't. And it's like, oh, what a jerk. But, like, realistically, that is such a sacrifice to make. I mean, obviously, for Katniss, she knew that, it was unlikely that she'd make it out, but Prim would never make it out. Yeah. And so there's some strategy there as well, whereas Kita's brothers probably 
had just as good of a chance as he did. So I think, yeah, it's just, I'm the youngest of my siblings. So it's, I don't have a context for a younger sibling, someone that I've grown up taking care of in certain ways and, and how that would feel. But yeah, at 16, I, I don't even know what I would have done. I mean, luckily, both of my siblings are too old, so they already would have been out of the running. But <laughs> <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> For sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it is such a, a huge sacrifice. And that's why so many of these people have siblings and there are so few volunteers because exactly you're volunteering to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were some of the uh, things that, that you were thinking of? Okay, so you mentioned earlier Sejanus, and I mean, Sejanus everything for me, because he is my heart, but when he does go into the arena and the ritual with the breadcrumbs for the burial, like, that that moment is just, oh, so beautiful, and... I don't know what it is with Suzanne Collins, but she can do deaths so well mm. because you also have Rue's kind of burial with putting the flowers around her and like singing this song. Mm. And that's also like just such a important moment of agency that Katniss is like, no, this is wrong. This is tragic. And I will not let this moment go by without making a statement about it. And I think that's what Sejanus was doing there too. This terrible thing happened. His friend was tortured and killed for trying to run away from getting killed. You know, like Mm. the only thing was he tried to escape then was tortured and made a spectacle for it. And he, Sejanus, just would not let that stand. And he had so little control one he was moved to this other district as a kid Mm -hmm. his father was very controlling or even things that he would try to do his father would then pay their way out of so it's like Mm -hmm. so many of his actions were undermined by their his dad anyway and yeah he just decides and he takes that moment to do that i mean i mean really sejanus is like would be another excellent character to look at in terms of agency because like mm-hmm. just all throughout the book he's exerting more and more as it goes on and uh, i love him he's the best <laughs> <laughs> another thing that i was thinking about in terms of agency which i think is really powerful is is avoxes because mm. These are people who exerted agency in some way, and then the response of the capital is to take so much agency away from them so that Mm. they can never exert it again. And again, now I'm going to turn them into a spectacle as a deterrent for others to assert their agency against the capital. And then lastly, something I was thinking about was just district 13 and you see like how much restriction also is put around people's agencies Mm. for the people who live there every day they have to get a stamp on their arm that says what their schedule is their time is just 
scheduled for them. Their portions are scheduled for them. And I understand, like, there's only so much food and whatnot. I mean, obviously, if Katniss can go and hunt, some of them could have learned. It's been 75 years. But Mm -hmm. they, they didn't for whatever reason. And I don't know if that's so that they could keep more control or, you know, the people in power coin, obviously, by the time we get there. But just thinking about how much control is exerted over people and then when somebody does not follow it like Katniss's prep team just taking an extra role then they are like locked in this room potentially tortured all these different things are done to them it's so like what the capital does just in a slightly different way and just in a different you know we're doing this for these quote-unquote good reasons and I mean this is this is also why you know the capital hated Katniss but so did Coin because she has too much agency and she doesn't comply so yeah I think it's a big thing for the books but I think also just the military in general our military the world's different military services so much of being in the military I think is stripping away that agency and it's like you only do what somebody above you tells you to do right and you're literally given orders yeah not not tasks not jobs not responsibilities orders and you have to wear uniforms and you potentially have to have the same haircut and you have to you know there's all of these things to strip away anything that makes you unique anything that gives you choices um so yeah i think i think the book also did that well in just like little things that are said and little things about routines and schedules even though that wasn't you know the point totally these are good books i know right (laughs) well i guess we should move on to our missed opportunities what do you have for me i would have loved to know a little bit more about why Hamish made the choices that he made and the struggles that he had in exerting his agency. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I do love his antagonistic but extremely connected and understanding relationship between him and Katniss, but it also leaves a lot of unanswered questions because they don't really ever talk about the whys behind his choices. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we know that Hamish was punished. His loved ones were killed by the Capitol after he won the games through a kind of manipulation of the force field. And we know that he basically started drinking himself to death into a stupor mm-hmm. for the rest of his life, which is is a coping mechanism. But that was a choice that he made, the choice to drink all that alcohol, but also the choice to stay alive. I'm not saying that he was healthy and, and maybe he, if he did actually drink himself to death, he wouldn't necessarily regret it, but... He was actively alive for 25 years after this happened. And I wonder how much that was him knowing that if he wasn't there to be a mentor, then the Capitol would have even more control over whoever comes from District 12. If that was part of his rationale in staying alive, because like we were talking about with PETA earlier, you know, the, the, the choice that is itself a choice in its own kind of agency to, to choose to die or, or, or not to. Mm-hmm. And eventually he chooses to join the rebellion and he chooses to help with all of this subterfuge to get Katniss and PETA to 13. And that's a choice that he made at some point. And yeah, I just, I'm, I'm curious in, as to what was going on in his head when he was making these choices, what he was weighing and why he made the choices that he made uh, it would just be something that I'd be really interested in finding more about. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mine's mine's kind of similar too. I was thinking about I want to know so much more about all of the victors. Mm. Like we were talking about, someone like Finnick continually had their agency stripped away. But then there's a bunch of other victors like Hamish, like the Morphlings from District 6, who inadvertently take some of their own agency away through addiction. Mm. And that's not their intention but like it's a result and yeah i just i I wish we got to know more about that i i just i want to know it sounds really bad but i want to know how many victors have actually killed themselves Hmm. versus do things that are so detrimental to their health that you know they would end up dying from it yeah i I just i want to know how agency works for the victors it seems like so many of them don't have support systems other than each other other Mm. victors i just yeah i want to know so much about what were actual victors choices that they made and what was like forced upon them yeah yeah absolutely i always see people online will will post you know like i want a, a tv show about the other Hunger Games, and I'm always like, okay, you're missing the point. The point isn't to find out how other how kids killed each other 75 times. <laughs> it's yeah, that's <laughs> how people dealt with these awful conditions. And yeah. the only thing that way that would be interesting is if it was actually about what happened before and after the games, not during, because mm-hmm. that that that's not what I care about the Hunger Games for. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's your takeaway from this conversation? Will you tell me yours first? Mine is, as, as we talked about agency and defiance and the choice, choices that people make against authoritarian regi- regimes, it made me think about the protests in Thailand, which I think since for over five years now have used the Hunger Games salute as a symbol in their protests. Mm. This is against what was a military coup. The person is now a, the prime minister and still a general. And so all these anti-authoritarian protests in Thailand, this salute has become a symbol. And I think that that shows kind of the the power of this story in regards to people exerting agency. Because just protesting at all in that kind of regime has so much more risk with yeah. it than it does in, in a society like ours here in the United States, which has its own set of risks, but aren't to the same extent. But... These people who, who've been doing this for years are, are so willing to take those risks and exert their agency and their calls for democracy in ways that I think are, are really astounding. And the fact that they incorporate the Hunger Games three-finger salute into that, I think, is, is just really, really emblematic of the power of these books. That's so cool. I, I didn't remember that. But yeah, that's, that's great. That's yeah, I've read about it a few sad. times, but... It's powerful it's all those things exactly yeah and i i just had it in my head because i just listened to a podcast about it uh, the other day because i i'd also forgotten about it i've read about it in the past but rehearing about it, i was like oh yeah that's so true and so during our conversation it was hard not to think about that but what about you what's what's your takeaway i think my takeaway is kind of wondering about the relationship between fear and agency and I definitely want to pay closer attention the next time I read through the books because it seems like in some ways fear is what helps 
keep people from having agency. If you rebel, you'll be killed, tortured, or turned into an A-box, right? Mm. And so we don't rebel. You also have someone like PETA be more afraid of losing his agency to to do what is authentically him and what is right than he is about being killed or tortured or these things. Mm. And you have Katniss so often so afraid of her sister dying Hmm. but then it it grows to not be about being afraid of her sister dying as much as being afraid that this regime will still stand and so yeah i don't know i mean and then you have johanna mason who is like they've taken everyone i love from me that was their mistake because now i don't care i'll do whatever i want you know, mm. I'll say whatever I want in it, like emboldens her because she just feels like she has nothing else to lose besides her own life. Mm. And with so many of the victors, maybe because they, they cared so much about their life, because again, they won for a reason and most of them killed to do so. Then in, in those 75th Hunger Games interviews, so many of them just, they're not afraid of the capital anymore. It's like, what else mm. can you do to us? And so they'll just like overtly challenge it. So yeah, I guess I'm. My takeaway is to, next time I read through, just think more about how fear is interacting with the motivation to exert agency or to restrict agency. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Have we done a fear in the Hunger Games episode? I don't think so. I don't think so either. That'd be an interesting theme too. There's just so much to talk about with these great books. That's probably because they're great. (laughs) Yeah, we should make a podcast about it. Okay. (laughs) Well, I think that that will probably wrap up this week's discussion, though. What are we going to talk about next week? So next week, we are going to be returning to Avatar Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. And we are going to be discussing the series through the theme of Pride. Okay, so Pride in Avatar. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our social media or our website in the episode description. You can also go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That helps us keep the podcast sustainable as well as gets you access to all sorts of fun extra perks. We also want to give a shout out to Katie June 12345 for her five-star review of us on Apple Podcasts, where she talked about how much she enjoyed the Songbirds and Snakes mini-season that we posted. If you also read that book and enjoyed it, and you haven't listened to that mini-season yet, I'd highly encourage you to go back and take a look. But I'd also encourage you to leave us a five-star review, just like Katie June did, because that's really helpful for us in getting new listeners and make sure that we can grow our community. Yeah. We also want to thank Kimberly to the Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out. out.